Thanks so much, Tara. Uh, well, this morning we're continuing on in our sermon series on the Holy Spirit. And if you, uh, are, this is your first time with us as a guest, we welcome you. And our prayer is that you would encounter Jesus by His Spirit. And so it's really important. Often churches forget the Holy Spirit, or they don't mention the Holy Spirit, or they mention Him in kind of just passing. And I want to share a wee bit of a journey that I have been on in my Christian life, um, coming from uh, becoming a Christian with a dramatic um, encounter with the Holy Spirit, but then going to quite a Reformed church where the Holy Spirit really wasn't mentioned and the gifts of the Spirit weren't taught or ministered to it, uh, and how I've kind of come through that looking at what the Bible says. And so this is a bit of a journey. So you might be here this morning, you're new to St. Mungo's, and you've come from quite a Reformed church, and a lot of the stuff that you see might be new to us. A lot of you, this is just old hand, and so the question I'm going to be asking is, are the gifts of the Spirit for today? Okay, and I'm going to try and answer this by looking at the Word and what the Word says, Word of God. Remember when we started this series, we looked at Francis Chan, and he said the importance of having a, a good theology allows the Spirit to move through that theology. And so if you've got a bad theology, a theology which is not based on what the Bible says, that's going to be a bit of a blocker to the Holy Spirit. So that's what we're going to be doing. But we, I realize that for some of you, this might be a bit of a journey this morning. So just before I became a Christian... I was given a prophetic word by a friend that did what it says in the Word of God, which you find in 1 Corinthians 14. But if an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, they are convicted of sin and are brought under the judgment by all, as the secrets of their hearts are laid bare. And as my friend, when I was not a Christian, shared this prophetic word to me, my heart was laid bare by this prophetic word, and I started to seek Jesus. However, it was quite a while after that that I experienced another Christian using one of the gifts of the Spirit that we find mentioned by Paul in 1 Corinthians 12, which are these, words of wisdom and knowledge, faith, gifts of healing, miraculous powers, prophecy, distinguishing between spirits and various kinds of tongues and interpretation of tongues. Now, I had read about these gifts in the Bible, but the church I attended just after I became a Christian did not believe that the, these gifts continued after the death of the apostles. They believed that these gifts ceased, and they weren't mentioned, and they certainly weren't used. Now, after a while of being a Christian, while still attending this church, a friend who was also one of my spiritual mentors asked me if, he, if I would like to come to lunch with his dad. Now, as a student, you always free lunch. I mean, that's, and it was at Brown's, and it was like, okay, so that was like, I'm coming, you know, just tell me the time. And I can remember, but he did say, my, my, my father's from Kansas, and he loves to prophesy over people. And if you know anything about Kansas, Kansas is a kind of a home of the prophetic in a lot of ways, and we've had the Kansas prophets. And so, but I didn't know any of this. But um, my friend also told me that uh, his dad moved in the gifts of the Spirit, was a doctor, a medical doctor, and had seen many miraculous healings when no hope, there was no hope for anything, anything else, but yet he, he had prayed for healing and seen miraculous um, healing come about. But one of the things he loved to do was prophesy over people. So as I say, I was up for lunch, and so me and another friend went for lunch. 
Uh, after having uh, the lunch, his dad asked, asked us whether we'd like him to prophesy over us. At this point, I did start to sweat a bit because I'd been, I've been told a few things uh, and uh, I thought he was going to reveal my deepest, darkest sins. He then asked us to get our hearts right before the Lord before he prophesied over us, which made me even more uh, fearful. Um, I sat there nervously while he started to pray in tongues which made me even more nervous because I'd never seen anyone pray in tongues. Then he looked up and looked me straight in the eyes and said this, in a Kansas accent, which I will try to imitate. Do you know what your problem is, son? (laughs) I I, I managed to respond at this point quite nervously. "Uh, No. (laughs) He said to me, you don't praise Jesus enough. Uh, By this time, must have looked a bit like a rabbit in the headlights. And so... uh, I think I said, "Uh uh-huh. And he said, well, praise Jesus. And I said, what now? In a very British, uh, uh, and he said, yes, son, praise Jesus. And uh, so I started in what I thought was quite a loud praise Jesus. Praise Jesus. (laughs) At which point he told me, no, son, praise Jesus, louder. And so (laughs) back and forth went this kind of uh, a conversation of, no, that's not loud enough. And uh, at which point I was getting quite nervous because we were kind of in a public space and uh, I was having to shout, praise Jesus. (laughs) Now, you might be wondering, what was God doing through this prophetic word? Well, uh, I didn't really have a clue that day. But as I look back, what I see is that the Lord broke in me the fear of man in praising Jesus. I find my worship of God from that moment on become more and more passionate and freer and has allowed me to encounter God in so many different ways, especially in times of worship. Now this morning, I want to ask the question, are the gifts of the Holy Spirit that that we read of in 1 Corinthians 12 still in use today or have they ceased? What does the Bible actually say? So let's turn to 1 Corinthians 12 to remind ourselves of the gifts. And if you've got your Bible, I encourage you to open. We're going to be looking at a couple of scriptures this morning. But let's start off with 1 Corinthians 12 to remind ourselves of the gifts, starting from verse 7. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between Spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and He distributes them to each one just as He determines." Now, I realize that there are other passages in the New Testament that speak of spiritual gifts, such as Romans 12, 6 to 8. There's also Ephesians 4, 11. But that's a list of offices in the church and not spiritual gifts. Now, in the rest of this talk series, we're going to be looking at the list from 1 Corinthians 12 of uh, the, the spiritual gifts to find out what they are and how we can seek them and put them into practice. Now, within the church worldwide, there are basically two lines of thought in regard to whether the gifts of the Spirit are still given. There are what we're called cessationists, and then there are continuationists. And I'm going I'm to define them both to you. And this is Sam Storms, who I find really helpful. Uh, Sam, used, uh, he's a, he used to head up Bridgeway Church. 
And uh, he, I find him really interesting because he really studies the scripture because he wanted his church to be really biblical but spirit-filled. So this is the definition he gives for a sensationist. He says, if someone who believes that certain spiritual gifts, typically those of a more overtly supernatural nature, cease to be given by God to the church sometime late in the first century AD, and that God communicates with his church today only through the scriptures. A continuationist is a person who believes that all the gifts of the Spirit continue to be given by God and are therefore operative in the church today and should be prayed for and sought after. As Paul writes to the Corinthians, he says, Follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. Now, as a Word and Spirit church, we uh, would believe that the Bible teaches clearly that of the continuation of the Spirit's gifts that the Holy Spirit still gives the gifts. Why? To build up the church. But it might be helpful for us to try and explain why we believe this, to kind of get into it. So to do this, I want to look at three things. Firstly, two scriptures that have been used to argue that gifts of the Spirit have ceased, just so we know what they are. Then we're going to look briefly at some of the other arguments that have been given along with this to say that they've been ceased. And while doing this, I'll try and show why I believe this to be not a true reading of what Scripture says. And then finally, I'm going to suggest what our response should be to what Paul seems to be calling us to do, which is eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit. So that's where we're heading this morning. So let's look at these two scriptures that have been used to teach that the gifts of the Spirit have ceased. So the first one is from 1 Corinthians 13, 8 to 12, which says this. It should come on the screen. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, and I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So here's the sensationalist argument. Uh, they use this verse to try and show that the gifts of the Spirit, such as prophecy or words of knowledge of tongues, will cease. Now, I agree they will. They will cease at one point. But the question, the crucial question is, when will they cease? Now, the key word that we need to understand in this passage is, what does Paul mean by the word perfect? Biblical scholars agree that this word is referring to the eternal state brought about when Jesus comes again. So when, we come, when Jesus comes again, we will be made perfect. Just so we're clear, I'm talking about the second coming of Jesus. Therefore, only when Jesus comes again will the perfect come and the partial, meaning spiritual gifts such as prophecy, tongues, words of knowledge, will pass away. However, the Satians have argued that the word perfect actually refers to the coming of the canon of Scripture or the completeness of the early church. They argue that when we have the canon of Scripture, we no longer need the gifts of the Spirit because we have all we need. And so the Holy Spirit no longer gives them to build up the church. I believe that to try and argue that the gifts of the Holy Spirit have ceased from these verses is wrong for two reasons. And I want to make this clear. Firstly, it's a very clear misunderstanding of what the word perfect means. Paul is making it very clear that spiritual gifts will not pass away until the perfect comes. Is If, as biblical scholars agree, that perfect refers to the second coming of Christ, then we cannot argue from these verses that the Holy Spirit is going to stop giving his gifts to build up the church until... Christ comes again. 
Nowhere in the Bible will you find a verse that supports this argument that because we now have the canon of Scripture, we no longer need the miraculous gifts. So that's the first point. Secondly, if you read through the New Testament, you see that the gift of prophecy, as Sam Storm suggests, has a much broader purpose that would not in the least be affected by the completion of the canon. Prophecy is a gift given to help build up, encourage, and strengthen the church and not a form of divine revelation designed to serve the church until the canon was formed and then it would cease. So 1 Corinthians 13, therefore, and what I read scripture, therefore supports the continuation of spiritual gifts. Now the second scripture that has been used to argue the gifts of the Spirit have ceased is in Hebrews 2, 3 to 4. It's going to come on screen. It says this, it was declared meaning the message of salvation, at first by the Lord, so that's Jesus, and it was attested to us by those who heard, that's the apostles, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit, distributed according to his will. So the sensationalists claim that these verses show that signs, wonders, and various miraculous uh, miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit were given to confirm and authenticate the apostles' ministry, that is the 11 plus Paul, and when they died, they ceased, these gifts ceased. However, this simply does not stand for several reasons. Firstly, it goes against Scripture, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. We wouldn't have to look very far in the New Testament to find that this belief does not hold to Scripture. Look at Acts 2 on the day of Pentecost, for example, where we see the coming of the Holy Spirit, which is a fulfillment of Joel 2. Okay? That will hopefully appear on screen, which says this, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams, your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I'll pour out my spirit in those days. There is no mention there of the apostles in this verse, but there is mention of men and women, young and old, being able to prophesy, move in the things of the spirit, and the spirit being poured out on all people. So I don't see it in the scriptures. Secondly, the New Testament mentions others who were not considered apostles, yet who moved in signs and wonders and gifts of the spirit. If we read through the New Testament, sorry, this is a bit of a long list, but I just want to give you some evidence here, okay? So if we look at Luke 10, Jesus commissioned the 70 to go out and move in the miraculous, which they did. If we look at Acts 2, at least 109 people, or among the 120, if my mass is correct, who were gathered in the upper room on the day of Pentecost were not apostles. Acts 6-7 records Stephen, who was not an apostle, as a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Acts 8 sees Philip, the evangelist, did signs and wonders. Acts 9 sees Ananias, heal and restore Saul and the power of the Spirit. Acts 13, where we read, Now in the church at Antioch there were prophets and teachers. They weren't apostles. Acts 11, uh, we read of Agabus, a prophet, probably one of the 70 disciples of Christ. He prophesied at Antioch of an approaching famine. Then in Acts 21, many years afterwards, he met Saul at Caesarea and warned him of the bonds and affliction that awaited him at Jerusalem, should he persist in going there. Acts 19, we see the new believers at Ephesus speak in tongues and prophesy. Acts 21 sees the four daughters for Philip prophesy. Galatians 3.5 sees Paul mention those in the Galatia church who were doing miracles by the Holy Spirit. And then Romans 12.6, where Paul says to the believers in Rome, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. There is so simply no scripture that verifies the argument that the gifts of the Holy Spirit were given to confirm or authenticate the apostles' ministry and cease when they died. 
Then thirdly, Paul, an apostle himself, makes clear that the gifts of the Spirit mentioned in 1 Corinthians 12 are given by the Holy Spirit. Why? To build up the church, to encourage, comfort, and strengthen the church, the body of Christ, which we need and we are called to eagerly seek them. Therefore, we can conclude that signs and wonders were features in Paul and Paul's and the other apostles' work, but they were not themselves signs of an apostle. Now, if we were then to go on to look at further arguments that cessationists have made to try and say that the gifts of the Spirit are not given along, um, here are two of them. Firstly, that if we say that the gifts of the Spirit are still in use today, such as revelatory gifts, such as prophecy or words of knowledge or wisdom, um, that this would undermine the finality and the sufficiency of the Holy Scripture. However, as Sam Storm suggests, this argument is based on the false assumption that revelatory gifts such as prophecy and the word of knowledge provide us with infallible truths that are equal uh, in authority to the biblical text itself. Nowhere do I see, well, in, in the charismatic church that I know, that they would say that the prophetic is an, on an equal to the word of God. And in fact, what we see in the Bible is that a prophetic word or a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom is called up to be weighed, either by the person who's giving it or the person receiving it, by what? The word of God. It's not seen as equal in any sense. And the second argument that's been put forward is that God has withdrawn his gifts, that we just don't see them anymore. And this I find really hard to believe. God is always doing signs and wonders throughout the world through people using the gifts of the Spirit, even when the church does not believe it. The problem is if you have believed bad theology that we talked about at the beginning, often coming from our own Scottish Enlightenment thinkers, such as David Hume. David Hume did a huge injustice to the church in what he wrote about miracles. And then the church believed that rather than the Bible. And that's why you saw in the Reformed Church, so much of the thinking that the gifts of the Spirit had ceased. I find that quite worrying. Craig Keener, the New Testament scholar and professor at Asbury Theological Seminary, has put together a two-volume work which presents not just the, the most thorough uh, current defense, the credibility of miracle reports in the Gospels and Acts, but also of the miracles, the gifts of the Spirit continuing. And I'd really encourage you, you can get his book on Audible, and there's some of the most amazing miracles. You will, it, I always remember when I first listened to John Wimber's uh, conference tapes, and it was like, what, wait a minute, did he just say that a blind eye has been healed? And I kind of, it was on tapes, so I went, you know, rewound, and it was like, and you know, this is what happened, and I was like, oh, okay. And then the next thing was, you know, someone who had been lame could walk. I mean, just miracle after miracle. And one of my favorite stories is at the start of the book, Kina, who was an atheist and then came to Christ through a dramatic encounter with the Holy Spirit. As a young Christian, he believed in miracles in principle, did not believe he would see one. And probably that's may, my, where some of us might be. You know, we believe that God could do the miraculous, but would he do one through us? Not sure. 
So Kina was helping in America a midweek Bible study in a nursing home. And during the summer holidays, where each week an old lady called Barbara would lament constantly, I wish I could walk. I wish I could walk. I wish I could walk. Kina said that this was considered too, far too controversial a thing to actually pray for Barbara to be healed. But one week, Don who was a middle-aged theological student at Fuller Theological Seminary, who are not known for their belief in the gifts of the Spirit, became so exasperated by this woman's request, said in a loud voice, I'm sick of this. He then walked over to Barbara and said, In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. Kina thought the woman was going to fall over, and Barbara's face alone was horrified. But Don walked her around the room, and from that day forward, her walking got stronger, and she was healed. She'd been healed by a man who probably only prayed out of exasperation and not faith. But God is still healing through his people. He's still releasing the gifts of the Spirit. And you can hear many more amazing stories in Kina's book called Miracles Today, which is on Audible, and I'd really encourage you because it will expand your box. It will blow your box apart about what God can do. One of my favorite biblical scholars is D.A. Carson. I was very uh, blessed when I was at uh, uh, university. Uh, Carson was doing the Bible studies at one of the uh, groups that I went to. And he has written extensively on John's gospel and the spirit in John's gospel. And this is what um, Carson, uh, and he would probably, um, you know, he would be cautious about the gifts of the spirit. But this is what he concludes. The coming of the spirit is not associated merely with the dawning of the new age by with its presence, not merely with Pentecost, but with the entire period from Pentecost to the return of Jesus the Messiah. Or again, the gifts of prophecy and tongues in Acts 2 are not portrayed as merely inaugurating the new covenant age, but as characterizing it. And let us not forget that the present church age equals the latter days. So here's Carson. He studied this whole thing, and he's quite nervous about the gifts of the Spirit, but he's saying that actually the age from Pentecost up to the time Jesus comes again will be characterized by the gifts of the Spirit, by the outpouring of the Spirit. So as you read through the New Testament, you see reasons Scripture gives for why the miraculous happens. And I just want to kind of talk through a few of these. The first one is to glorify God. As we see in the ministry of Jesus, and we still see today, that the miraculous was done to glorify God. You see that in, in, the, in the raising of Lazarus. Why was this done? It was to, for the glorification of God. The second reason is the bare truth of the gospel. It's important to realize that signs, wonders that flow from these spiritual gifts are to bear witness to the truth of the gospel. This, is, this was the case in the early church and is the same today. If it was essential for Jesus in his ministry to utilize the miraculous phenomenon of the Holy Spirit to attest and confirm his ministry, then we too need to attest not our ministry, but to attest the power of the gospel and to glorify and make God known in this world. You know, I have witnessed moments where God has done the miraculous through a word of knowledge or just praying, where deaf ears have been opened, where legs have been kind of reconfigured. I've seen 
uh, people healed of all kinds of things. It's not demonic, it's God. Because then this person comes to God, they come to Jesus, and they go, wow, Jesus is real. I used to love uh, going out on the streets, on Princess Street and in Wester Hills, and offering healing. We had this massive banner which just says healing. And people would come, and some of them would go, I don't want that. But others would come and go, I need healing. Like, and then some of them wouldn't really be bothered about what, how we did it, but we'd always say, God loves you. And is it all right, we're just going to pray in the name of Jesus? And so I always remember this old Polish man who was in a lot, he was arthritic. He was in a lot of pain. And we simply prayed in the name of Jesus, arthritis be gone, pain be gone. And you could see him. He was like, oh, oh. He got up. He was like, oh, that feels so much better. Or I can remember a girl who had, um, she had this kind of strap on her wrist and her wrist was in a lot of pain. And we prayed, in Jesus' name, pain be gone, rest be healed. And she kind of looked like this. And then she, I said, well, what? she's got something strange going on here. So she took off her kind of strap and then she went, wow, the pain's gone. Or the one I'll always remember is we went to another church who were just starting to move in the gifts of the Spirit. And we went, they were quite brave. They, they went first with the youth. So anyway, rather than teaching the adults, they taught the youth. And uh, so, so my job was to go out and to, just to tell them about the gifts of the Spirit and about the Holy Spirit. And so we had a bit of a lab afterwards where we said, if you want to come for healing, come. And this, this girl, really blasé teenager, whatever, like this. Yeah, right. And, um, and probably not doing it very good, but she had, she'd been hit by this hockey ball in a game on, on that day in the morning. She had this huge welt on her back. And we just prayed for the pain to be gone. And she was sitting down, she like jumped up and went, what is that? Well, it's the Holy Spirit. He's bringing healing to you. And it changed the whole dynamic in the room. And we had a cue after that. You see, it's to bear witness to the gospel. It's to bring people to Jesus. As we see a man who was paralyzed and bedridden for eight years in Acts, be healed by Peter, then all and Lydia and Sharon turn to the Lord to demonstrate the compassion of God, which we see both in the ministry of Jesus and that he continues to do today, to set people free. And then finally, to build up and strengthen the believers that he says in 1 Corinthians 12, that the gifts are given for the common good and to build up and to strengthen the church. It's really important that we believe we, have, we live a biblical life inspired by the Spirit of God, that we don't allow our fears or ideologies of men to come into the church and rob us of the gifts of God for the people of God, to build up the church of God and proclaim the kingdom of God. You know, I find a really interesting article. Um, it's amazing what you find when you're just Googling stuff about the gifts of the Spirit. And it was an article from the Los Angeles Times. Um, and it's from um, January 20th, 25th, 1986. So it's a wee while ago. Uh, California. And the headline reads, Return of Fuller Class of Miracles is Delayed. 
It says, Fuller Theological Seminary in Pasadena has canceled an experimental and highly popular course on miracles that included a lab session in which students were often purportedly healed of ailments. The class, which has drawn the maximum 250 students since it started in 1902, eventually became what faculty member Jack Rogers called the most deeply divisive issue on campus in my 15 years here. I mean, isn't that sad? I mean, I can find no reason in Scripture to say that the gifts of the Spirit have stopped. I believe it's actually just out of a lot of fear. You wouldn't be surprised to know that Jack, John Wimber was actually in doing some of the healing here. But the reason they give is, which I was quite amazed at, I've, I've probably lost the page, to do our science on this and to find out really what was going on. What was going on? God was healing people. What were they doing? They were using the gifts of the Spirit. When we take an ideology of man or a theology which is not biblical, we rob the church of the gifts that God has given us to build up the church. And wherever you are, I want you to go on a journey with me as we look at the gifts of the Spirit. And if you don't agree with me, then come and have a chat. But this is who we are as a church. We're a word and spirit church. And we want to use the gifts that God has given by his Holy Spirit. He decides who gets them and when it happens so that we can do what it says in the Bible, to build up, to encourage, to strengthen. Why are they given for the common good? If we study Scripture, I believe there's nowhere that indicates that these gifts were just for then and not for now. We need to therefore take seriously that the New Testament instructing, uh, instructions, not just to eagerly desire the spiritual gifts, but also to use them, to move in them. Why? To build up the church. Now, when we look at the Corinthian church, they tended to exalt some gifts over others, like praying in tongues. But Paul urged them to recognize all gifts as a blessing of the Spirit of God given by the Holy Spirit. We need to realize that we all have a part to play, and the gifts of the Spirit are primary for the purpose of building up the church. Now, in the weeks that are going to come, we're going to teach you more about what that looks like. And probably one of the safest places to start kind of pushing out into the gifts of the Spirit are in your house groups. Your house group leaders have all been trained up in using the gifts. A lot of them are more experienced, uh, have been moving in the Spirit for a long time. And you might, you might never have had a prophetic word. What's the benchmark? To encourage, strengthen, and comfort. It can't go against the Word of God. So if you have a word or a picture, and this is the first, well, why don't you share it first with your house group leader? But why don't we start to move out gently in the things of the Spirit? You know, when we don't use the gifts of the Spirit, we're actually stopping what the church is meant to be. Because we're not building the church up. Not using the gifts of the Spirit or seeking the Spirit as gifts of the Spirit has a dramatic impact on the church. So we should seek them knowing that we do not receive spiritual gifts according to our merit or our ability, but that God gives spirits, spiritual gifts according to His grace. And I, I saw this a lot. I've seen this a lot. Where I, you know there are people who I was a bit hesitant and taking out in the street, thinking, oh, "I'm not sure it's going to go like this," and like you know. And then they'd be the most amazing at like coming and praying for people, people that you know, had walked past me, and then they engaged them with the conversation and prayed for them. I mean, it was just amazing. But it's not on our ability. 
It's not on our merits by the grace of God. And maybe that's what was happening at Corinth, that all, uh, some of the richer Christians like, were looking at some of the poorer Christians and saying, oh, I don't like this. They've got all the gifts and we've got none. You know, the kingdom of God isn't fair, right? God decides who's going to get the gifts and, and we should just celebrate them. So I want to encourage you to do three things. Firstly, look for ways to use the gifts of the Spirit in the service of the church family and encourage others to do so well. So if, you know, if someone gives you a prophetic word or prays to you and you're healed, you know, what normally happens to the church is you don't tell the other person you've been healed or you don't tell them that actually prophetic word is just like, and they, they're left thinking, well, did anything happen there? You know, there was a, there was a person in the church who gave me the most beautiful prophetic word in the midst of the transition. Okay, so um, when none of you knew the transition was going on, it was going on for probably two years, okay? And every week it felt like I was a bit on show. You know, I was being marked, if I was being honest. But this, this lady gave me this word. She had no idea what was going on. And it was, it was a profound prophetic word that just brought the grace of God onto me. And I had peace after that prophetic word. It was amazing. And I was so thankful that she'd taken the time to write it down and give it to me. Let's start to move out in the gifts of the Spirit. Let's not take pride in our spiritual gifts or feel inferior if our spiritual gifts are not as impressive as the gifts of others. Let's just celebrate them. That's how it's meant to be as a family. But let's actively pursue spiritual gifts as a church. Some of you have done, been doing this for years. Other you, others of you are going, hmm, okay. Others you might have, need to have a bit of a conversation. But as a Word and Spirit church, we want to push into this. You know, it was great. I went uh, to Deepa, which is the kind of um, youth, all the youth discipleship, and we, and we were talking about healing and, uh, and prophecy. And, um, you know, these things are just gifts that, Allow us to bring people to Jesus or minister to the body. Let, let's not get left behind, church. All right? I don't want us to, like, get to heaven and, and uh, Jesus said, you know, well, why didn't you move in the gifts of the Spirit? Let, let's, let's go for it. Let's move in faith. And we're going to be teaching you more but there are some amazing people within the congregation who have been moving this, and some of our house group leaders have been doing this for ages. So please, house group is a really safe place to do it. We will try and model that in the service. Okay? We realize some of you might have been damaged in the past by unhelpful um, prophetic uh, words, maybe just unhelpful things uh, which were called the Spirit of God but weren't. And so we try and model and be safe. And Malcolm did an amazing job of doing that and we'll continue to do that because what we want to do is we want to be biblical. Okay? But it's really important that we put what is in the Bible into place. I'm going to ask the band to come up and um, what I want us to do is um, it's just another opportunity to say yes to welcoming the Holy Spirit 
uh, into, our, into, our, more, into our lives. Uh, I've been praying the prayer um, that I gave out on the, f- on the first Sunday, um, uh, which says, you know, increase our capacity to you and release your gifting. I've been praying for it. And I have to admit, there were five days where I stopped praying the prayer because the Holy Spirit was putting his finger on some things which he was wanting me to get rid of. And it was actually quite uncomfortable. But he, it was like, if you want to, me to increase my capacity for my spirit in you, then you need to deal with this. And, and after the five days, well, yeah, that's absolutely true. Okay, let's go again. Because we need to realize it's the Holy Spirit. It's the Spirit of God we're welcoming him, we're asking for. And he's the most wonderful encourager and uh, counselor. And where he is, there is freedom. So I really encourage you, keep praying that prayer. Keep seeking him. And if someone does give you a prophetic word and it encourages you or comfort and strength, you please tell them. Don't just leave them hanging. And so what I'd really love us to do now is if the prayer ministry team can come up. And um, I just want us to pray for more of the Spirit this morning. More of the Spirit. And that would include the giftings of the Spirit. And you can be quite particular if you want to. If you want to start moving, you know, Paul says, eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. You know, if you, if you want that, why not tell the ministry team? Why, why not come up? Paul, Paul just says, look, these are the gifts. Ask, eagerly desire them. Why? So the church can be built up. So why don't we just do what Paul says and eagerly desire them? Come up, and in coming up, we're just saying, Lord, I eagerly desire them. You know, Holy Spirit, what I need. You know what you're going to give me. So I come in faith. So Holy Spirit, we just want to honor you. We want to honor you in the way we live our lives, that we use the gifts that you've given us to build up the church of Jesus. And Holy Spirit, we're sorry where we've stopped you or we've believed something false about you or something about what the Bible says about you. So come, Holy Spirit. Give us a hunger that we'd eagerly desire your gifts. So prayer ministry team, if you just can come up over there, we're going to keep, keep the, the worship quiet so we can pray, so we can hear. But let's stand and let's continue to worship. But this is, as a, this is as an act of worship because we're actually just being obedient to what the Word of God says. That's, in my book, that's worship. And I'm, I'm, I know for some of you that might be a big thing, but for some of you, you might be just saying yes again and again and again and again. So let's be obedient and let's continue to worship.